So hello and welcome. My name is Steve Pugh and most kind of Mondays I do something called a growth strategy podcast where I try and introduce you to interesting people that can kind of help your business or career. Today I'm going to speak to Luke Cope who I've kind of followed his progress for quite a long time. Really high profile career in content marketing and strategy and that kind of thing which we're kind of going to go on. And we've been talking for a while and it's been the perfect time to kind of get him on and almost you know learn about his journey and that kind of thing as well. So if you join us for the next kind of 30-40 minutes I promise it'll be a really interesting one both to learn more about the industry and how to get started and what makes a great agency and uh, we're also going to talk about mental health for a little bit as well and some of the stuff that uh, Luke's done in the past and generally just have a really good kind of conversation but if you've got any questions anything please feel free to drop them in the chat and hi David who's the first person to comment and they will come up on my screen so if it's appropriate I'll kind of bring it in as well so Luke I'm just going to bring you in there we go and everyone can now see you and hear you uh, hi Steve, yeah, cheers for having me on. Uh, like I said, we've been chatting for a while, and it's been good to to come on to this. I've watched a few episodes, and yeah, happy to be on it. No, because and I didn't realise until I'd done my homework. I didn't know you went to Hallam. Yeah, Sheffield Hallam. Did, where did you go, Sheffield? You I, went, I went the proper Hallam? one. No, <laughs> uh, no. I guess this is where we go our separate ways. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, but what's really funny is that what attracted me to sheffield was i loved the city it was a great city to go great vibrancy you didn't play on any of the sports teams did you just out of interest i slept in for every <laughs> trial that there was and then played a bit of sport in the last year but, but yeah the, but the sheffield varsity between sheffield junior and sheffield hallam was like legendary and i was captain of the basketball team so i was like all in on oh really but actually, when I was doing my PhD, I used to do a lot of stuff with and at Hallam. I used to photography, uh, photograph some of your events and stuff. And I think what I love, it's just, I love a great city that is great for culture. It's safe, there's great nightlife. And it's just, it's a, it's a really fascinating place. But also, I've had this discussion with my wife and a few different people. For whatever reason, conscious or not, you seem to gravitate towards people that have similar values and stuff. And often those same character traits and i guess when you look at a customer when you do a profile you tend to go to you know you'll pick the similar university you'll pick the similar stuff and it's just funny as you go through your career the amount of people i know i'm, I'm friends with that went to hallamore uni it's astounding and it was just when i was doing my homework that it was just uh yes anyway yeah there's, there's a lot of us and yeah a lot of um well a lot of people i know stayed around sheffield as well and i've lived, lived in sheffield for like 10, oh, I don't want to say when I finish uni, but a long time after finishing uni as well. Yeah. So it's just home now, I guess. But like, it's a great city and it's almost, when I first went, so because I'm old, I remember I went for an open day. I think it was in the year 2000 or 2001. And I started my undergrad in 2002. And the transformation in that city from then to 10 years ago or so was massive because it got loads of European funding. And it went from somewhere that was a little bit ropey to actually just a really brilliant, vibrant kind of city. And I think it's that balance of if you find somewhere that you kind of love and you cherish, um, why not stay there? I think that's the whole kind of point. Um, would yeah. you be happy to give a quick kind of overview just about who you are and where you're from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Warwickshire, which no one knows where that is. So then I go to Birmingham, uh, So, but without the accent. Um, so yeah, I've been in digital marketing for like 10, 11 years now. Uh, worked at agency side, worked in-house, uh, ran my own company. Um, so I've got a wide breadth of experience within digital marketing. Uh, and yeah, I went to Sheffield Hallam Uni, worked around, around mostly around Sheffield and Yorkshire over the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. No, cool. Um, so part of the reason why I first discovered you and James as well was at your um, at Rise at Seven. And I think it's just really funny that, again, when you create content and you do stuff like podcasts, it's when you kind of you get to meet people and just get a vibe for people in a way that over time, one piece of content, because you always seem to be quite reluctant on camera. It was always James as like yeah. the happy Labrador that he's always there. Yeah, I mean, he always whacking the camera in my face and I didn't particularly <laughs> like it. But but my point is, but you, for me, you get to know people or you feel like you know people a little bit, just it's that continued stuff. And I remember, yeah, we had a call a while back and it's just, it's how I, I really enjoy doing that kind of thing. Um, but the purpose of the podcast and what we try and do is both to share people's story, the lessons that they've learned throughout their career, that kind of thing. But also for people that grew up in Warwickshire or Liverpool where I grew up, you know, we didn't, I didn't have the internet, but it was almost now, how do you know what jobs you want to do that actually the more you can kind of discover who does what and now that seems quite interesting but how did luke get into it how did steve or hi neil or whoever um get into their kind of careers i think that's really interesting and then likewise you also get a lot of people that maybe we had gcse's last week 
and you know a lot of people got crap results and you know that's fine but actually you'd be amazed at how many business owners didn't do great at school but had that drive to really do something and the point is you could be 15 16 now and you think the world's ended because actually your results aren't as good as maybe you wanted or your parents wanted but actually it doesn't matter and it's that kind of thing i just love to really dig into people's kind of backstory and that kind of thing just because i think it will genuinely help people that might discover this on youtube and stuff um so what were you like at school uh unspectacular i'd say i was bang average at pretty much everything like athletics completely bang average at every single discipline within that um when i was probably when i was young in primary school i was like an adult trapped in a kid's body i was like quite a serious child i think um so i think my my teachers used to tell my parents that when they had an in joke and they were laughing together in school i'd laugh along with them so it's like um, if i was my parents i'd been well worried about me like i was dead serious kid um then secondary school i was very dry sort of said whatever i thought was was going to be funny but um i'm fairly entrepreneurial now but there was nothing really about me back then at all i wouldn't say um i was from a pretty small town so i was uh, near leamington's bar mm -hmm. um very small so like kind of place where everyone knows everyone yeah. all my family pretty much lived on the same road at one point so everyone knew everything about you already and all i really knew that i wanted to do at that age was to to leave so i wanted to get out and and go to university i didn't really know what course mm -hmm. um or where um i just wanted to to sort of get out of that small town at that point um so yeah i wasn't yeah i did c's and d's and that sort mm -hmm. of scraped scraped into university with a decent pe result um and that was about it uh, i must admit this is i was one of my other friends i went to hallam and we used to joke because that was some of the sports chants with two e's and a swimming badge and it was when you just said the pe badge <laughs> just, but yeah, what, what used to it. blow my mind and it was just like that was just the rivalry that was kind of it was always fun and games and i had massive respect for both universities and stuff but what always blew my mind was that hallam is especially good at sports and actually uni okay you had occasion we had jessica ennis and there's one or two others but that was about it but when we used to come to varsity i remember playing against like international sports people and when i photographed the hallam sports ball and you had actual people that actually went to the commonwealth games yeah. and it was just a completely different tier but one thing that you really learn is that different universities have different specialisms and i know how good the business and management type courses at hallam are and were that actually yeah you know okay i did engineering but it's just it's it's fascinating but how did you get into that how did you know why did you pick that subject i don't really know i, I like i did business at a level i got i got a d it, i was like like i said below average i wasn't particularly excelling in business i knew i quite like the thought of advertising and stuff like that so i applied for a few business courses and then i got in at hallam um and i think yeah for me at the time it was more of an escape the university type thing so i was away from home like i said i grew up in a small town uh had a disabled dad i had quite like a had to mature from a young age and it was nice to get out and go to a different city and yeah. start living somewhere else um and i think yeah the, like i said helen's business course it pretty much everyone did business like i didn't rarely meet anyone who didn't do a business because a business type course because mm -hmm. they're all labeled under different um so business of finance did the same as business of marketing for the first two years for example um so I mean, the first couple of years there, I didn't, again, I didn't really excel. Like I, I did what a lot of people did when they went to uni and I showed up every now and again. I went out all the time. I was just basically loving being somewhere else and meeting new people and different types of people. Um, and that was like the first couple of years were, was what you'd expect from your, like, mm -hmm. your stereotypical couple of, first couple of years at uni. Um, and then I had a, I had a year a year out. So basically, long story, I got a student placement in Canada and I was just really excited. I was like, oh, someone knew. Uh, got it all wrong. I was put in a kitchen for a marketing degree placement and I've got the wrong visa, all that sort of stuff. So I basically came back and I was like, okay, I'll have a year out and mm -hmm. I'll get some experience uh, off my own back um, and could not get a job anywhere. Like it was a recession at the time. Um, so it was like the worst decision yeah. ever at the time. Uh, came back, I'd, I was renting the place in Sheffield. Um, it was like the, f the start of each month, I couldn't afford my rent at the end of the month. So I had like no money at all. I was getting by on like, I worked warehouse jobs. Um, I went to call center for a bit and the bookies and stuff like that. I did basically anything. Uh, there was one month I won 150 quid and that paid, paid my rent. 
Um, so the, there was this time at uni where I was like, I was still pretty lazy. This year happened um, and I realised like, oh God, I've got no safety net at all. No one can help me. Mm-hmm. Like my parents can lend me money or anything like that. And I got like a vision of like what my life could be like if I didn't sort myself out and start like applying myself a lot more. Um, so that was like at the time hellish year. Like I was literally living off like wheat Yeah. Um, and then looking back, so what I started to do in that year was I started to learn how to do like basic WordPress websites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I taught myself that and I started teaching myself stuff um, that wasn't spoon fed to me by a lecturer or a teacher for the first time. Um, and I started picking picking that up and I started making a bit of money off it. So I built a WordPress site and, and for someone for like 250 quid or something like that, little bits that I was picking up. Um, and then from then I was completely different. So I went back to my, my third year and I, you know, I knuckled down, I got decent results. Um, and I just started doing more stuff and taking it more seriously. I think because that year showed me what struggle was yeah. actually going to be like for me if I didn't sort of my ideas up. Um, so yeah, third year was completely different. It was, re- I really enjoyed it. Lots of, lots of specific marketing modules, met lots of different types of people. Um, and yeah, we did a, in our, we didn't do a dissertation, but we did a, um, you know, set up a business from start to finish and pitch it like Dragon's Den style. Um, and then that coupled with me having an absolutely horrendous year out was like an instigator for me, I think, to sort myself out. No, because I think when, when you've got that hunger, when you can almost realize how bad things could be or not be, when you think you have something taken away from you. I think you see it a lot as well. So there's a Joe Eddie Hearn, who's the boxing promoter. Yeah, yeah. He had a thing similar at kind of age where he realized actually, he, you know, when he was at school, he had a rich dad and he always had teachers looking out for him and he could kind of dick about. And actually he knew he was always okay. And when he got to 17, 18 and he went to college, he realized that if he doesn't turn up, nobody cares. And it was, it was that self-reliance thing. Actually, if I don't do something, and you know i need to knuckle down but it's also fascinating about how because i was i think similar that when you get the passion to learn and you get your own hunger the difference that can make just in terms of your your excitement and your willingness to kind of do stuff is is amazing obviously it's kind of gone quite well so what happened next how did you get your your first job and then how did that roll through to maybe recently yeah i mean i've had quite a varied career so i'll start from the very beginning which i sometimes forget about i, I worked at Sheffield hallam for a year after graduating so i got like a it's almost like a graduate internship as like a marketing assistant on the student placement team mm-hmm. but i worked with a lot of different companies as forming relationships with the uni so i got a feel for like what they were struggling with and then social media came out something that kept coming up and they were trying to hire students for it because it was booming and they didn't really know what to do with it um so i I basically went freelance pretty much straight after that. Um, I set up a com- uh, under the name Social Marvels. So um, my my idea was that you know social media uh, companies are struggling with social media. If they have a social marvel within their mitts and they're trained and they know how to do it, almost a bit like a franchise. It was mm-hmm. the kind of long term plan, um, which wasn't the worst idea I've ever had. Um, so I started doing that and I started getting paid for local companies to manage their social media. So. I got a check for 120 quid was my first time I'd been paid off my own back. And I was like, okay, I can make some extra money. Like I didn't have to do these ridiculous jobs I thought I had to do. Um, so I started doing that and then I started writing. Um, I got some good, I used to write for a, a big website called Sabotage Times. Mm-hmm. Usually a lot of traffic, a lot of uh, good writers used to write for that. I wasn't one of them. I was not a very good writer at all. Um, but I managed to get some, some gigs writing for them that was for free. And then I got some paid gigs writing for Top Man, Siemens and some other type fashion type sites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was making a, a bit of a living freelancing, writing, doing lots of different types of stuff. Uh, I went for an interview at an agency because um, I wanted a full-time job and wanted to get into an agency. Um, and there was an agency called Huber in Sheffield. Went for an interview there. I said, um, I've written this article. I got it retweeted off Netflix and I can track that it's drove 3000 hits to the, the my site. And that just basically got me a job because it was a time in Pen- uh, Penguin and Panda Penalties within uh, that Google were giving out. You needed better content. You needed to earn links instead of buying them in the SEO industry now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great timing. I sort of stumbled into it. Um, no real plan in place. I just accidentally done that and then got offered a job. Um, so I was content marketing manager there and grew an offering from scratch. So it was a smallish agency, web development agency primarily. Um, 
but I got to do everything. So I came up with the ideas. I did the data. Mm -hmm. I say got to do everything. We didn't have resources to do everything. So I did it all. Um, did the outreach, basically did the whole process from start to finish on the, the content marketing. Um, started doing some cool campaigns that started getting into bigger publications like GQ magazine and national press and stuff. Um, it was getting harder. So it seemed a bit like it is now. There's like it's yeah. exploding and what we call digital PR now, it's similar to what it was back then or what it felt like. Um, so I thought it was getting more and more saturated. So I um, I set up a company, it was called Brew Social. This was probably 2017, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and my thought was that it's becoming saturated. I'm going to do the same thing. So I'm going to create cool campaigns. I'm just going to pay uh, social media influencers to amplify them. So I recruited about 200 uh, social media influencers within sport and travel. Um, and the idea was to pay them to amplify campaigns that I was doing. And I, yeah, quit my job and set up a company. Um, and then, so basically I recruited those influencers and had, had meetings on my first day with like um, the media agents of like European footballers and down in London. Wow. So the agents of like um, Aaron Robin, uh, Van Persie, Carl Walker, Jesse Lingard. Um, I met those guys on day one in London. I picked up some work with Common Goal, which is the charity set up by One Matter where footballers donate 1% of their uh, mm -hmm. salary to charity. So this is like day week one. I was like, this is going to be Incredible. easy. Like I'm going to clean, I'm going to clean up here. Like, um, then I got like destroyed in the meeting with another, another company that, that day. Um, and then like, it was like four months later, no clients like struggling. Like all my clients that I used to work with were at my previous agency, same as all my contacts. So it took me like six to 12 months to, to get going. Um, and then I probably ran it for about 18 months, two years full-time-ish and I've worked myself into the ground completely which we'll talk a bit more about later um so from there I contracted at Jack's Flight Club which is a, a, a subscription-based startup they sold to tra uh, Travel Zoo I think for like 12 million quid or something last year um then I became head of digital at an agency in Leeds called Fox which was a b2b uh, specialist agency so I've had you know run my own company work for an agency primarily b2c then a subscription-based startup and then I was head of digital at B2B agency. Um, and then, yeah, I met Carrie and Stephen from Rise at Seven. And then um, I sort of left there without a real job offer in place. I was just like, I'm going to be part of that company. Um, and yeah, joined there, uh, became head of digital strategy, and then eventually content marketing director there. Did some work I'm really proud of, met some really great people. Um, so yeah, managed to fit quite a bit in the past 10 years or so. Um, but I think it's one of the things that I love. It's just it's the the entrepreneurial hustle to do things to actually you know think I'm going to set up on my own. I'm going to leave a job to do that. Takes balls. Not everyone would do that. And I think you actually do need to be a special type of person to have that risk that you're you're comfortable to do certain things that a lot of people, ninety nine percent of people, wouldn't do that. But it's almost it's funny again. I think it was really good to share how day one most businesses get a quick win yeah. but then actually does i found this there was a lull before you actually get any retained regular client then it builds yeah. and to get through that valley of death to make money just anything to get through to there it's you know completely independently that everyone seems to find that but again there'll be people in the network who are in that exact same position where they're like oh fucking hell it's harder than i thought it was going to be yeah it's such a graft at the start like i couldn't I grafted so hard to get the meetings that I got. So I managed to get pictures of like Sega and Google and stuff like that. And I don't know how really it was purely just like I sat at a laptop for 12 hours a day, seven days a week. For, and that, what not, that's not even the best way of doing it, which I know now it was not a productive way of spending my time at all. But I, the bits that I did get and they weren't even real wins. It was like a pitch at Google. Like I said, I mm -hmm. pat myself on the back, but I didn't actually win anything. And I had clients but it wasn't didn't meet my expectations whatsoever and yeah i think a lot of people obviously do find that especially in the first year that it's, it's a real graph to get in it get anywhere but one thing's i don't know about you but i when i either help someone else who's going through that now or even doing it myself i respect the graph that you need to do because i know that all of the greats everyone that you love or respect in business has done that hmm. and the people that haven't haven't really you know there's a there's a you know camaraderie and respect for anyone that will do whatever it is that you need to do to just get some money in and just get it off the ground and yeah and i think yeah i think you you have conversations with people and sometimes you inevitably compare yourself as well yeah and i think at the time the mistake i made i was comparing myself to 
people I shouldn't have been comparing myself to. And then even, even to people around me who were setting up businesses or I knew about, I'd ask them a couple of questions and be like, how are you, survive, like, how are you surviving at the minute? And sometimes it would be, well, yeah, I've got money from my dad. And I was like, okay, I'm comparing myself to people who have safety nets and stuff. And I didn't mm-hmm. have one myself. Um, so that was something I learned definitely when I was doing it. But I respect that. I think that's class. And again, when people might want to work with you in the future, it's that balance of people will respect that grind because they know that you know what it means. Because I think that's always the worry is that when people are looking to outsource content creation or whichever to different people, you want to know that they respect your money as well. Does that make sense? That's a big driver for me that, yeah. you know, I, I go on gut feel and if I like and trust someone, but especially with marketing, it's it's the it's the proof of product because you're always going to get people that promise the world, but actually they're kind of full of shit and they haven't done it. And it's just, I love that. Um, a question which actually came in from Neil was actually to do with how did you find the differences between working for yourself, like freelance, working in an agency and also working in-house for someone? How did they vary? Um, I love agencies. So I think although the agency world is like, it's like, yeah, it's known for being quite full on. I love plugging myself into something and being like, okay, that's something I'm doing now. And there's unlimited amount of work basically I can do. Um, I think in-house I've always struggled with. There's quite a lot of places that I went to that aren't on my LinkedIn profile that I did. I didn't last at because it wasn't right at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've traditionally struggled at quite a lot of um, in-house places where it's just not for me and the culture is not quite right. And the pace isn't quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, freelance you've got okay i am chasing an invoice again that sort of stuff which sort of drains the can drain the fun out of it a little bit like i remember i was chasing an invoice from a company for like months and months and they paid me on christmas eve just randomly um, and i'd given up um so there's stuff like that that i really like to earn the money off my own back and that's something I, I did up until about a couple of years ago in my spare time continuously mm-hmm. just to build a extra money um agencies yeah love love working at pretty much every agency I've, I've been at and it's always been a, like a good challenge. Um, and then in-house, it's a bit different at Jack's Flight Club, I guess, because it was a subscription-based startup and we're all remote. And actually, I was a contractor. I wasn't actually properly employed there technically. Um, so, yeah, I think I like having a variety of things to do and that matches agency and freelance a bit more than in-house for me. Okay. Because one of the things that I find is that when... So for an oil and gas company, I was head of marketing and strategy for two years, give or take. But it doesn't matter what I came up with, it had to be signed off by the CEO and other people. And what yeah. always, always happened was they challenge you on everything, they water it down, and it was just a bit soul-destroying. And then they say, oh, and there's no money, and there's no budget, and you're like, for fuck's sake. As when now, when you have complete control over whatever you want, I can say whatever I want, I can just, but I love the creative side and doing the InDesign, and I, I love that. And I think for me, it's when you get to work with really interesting people that as you go through your career, especially if you've got a little bit of, I call money oxygen, but when you've got money to burn oxygen to burn to really invest into a business, you get to, or the way I try and do it is to work with good people. But I say, look, Luke, you know what you're doing better than me. This is the vision. This is what we're trying to achieve. How do we do it? And then I'd be stupid to second guess that because you know it better than I do. That makes sense? that's the that's the it can be the bit of a difference between the agency and the client relationship is like we are investing x amount in in you as in, as individuals in the team and it's usually quite a lot of money and you sometimes are given a bit more freedom because you're seen as this entity that is a separate brand that knows what they're doing and their specialism and you're investing in that when in your in-house sometimes you might be in a position particularly when they're digital where you they're an expert in something and you know more than your boss, but they're your boss still. So you get feedback and you have to kind of say, uh, this is a bit awkward because they're your boss, but you know, and yeah, obviously that comes down to management techniques and stuff like that. But that was something I found in-house definitely. Um, so obviously you spent a bit of time at Rise, Rise at 7. What separates out a brilliant agency from an average one? Because there's so many people out there that do stuff that how do you like bottle people's imagination how do you get a brief out there but actually where does the magic come from and what do you do with it yeah i think there's a there's a a few different things i like agencies who who say what they do what they say so if you're a specialist in a particular area if you're a specialist in sport or your b2b or your b2c or e-commerce focused like you've got to do something that makes you that and you've got to kind of practice what you preach if Mm -hmm. you're fast be fast all that sort of stuff so i think that makes a good agency i think there's there's a lot in um 
sort of getting value in the team that the client pays for at the end of the day. So if they're investing six grand a month, is that are they getting the value from those people who work on that account? Mm-hmm. That is a real basic way of trying to understand whether that you're going to keep clients basically. And I think that's a good way of looking at it. And I've been at places before where I've gone in and been a bit like, uh, I don't think the product's right. I don't think what we're mm-hmm. doing is that it can, it can be improved. And I think that's the area. And I think it's uh, places before I've seen a, not an overemphasis, but there's a real focus on like account management and having client services people, which there's nothing against that, that role at all. But for me, I think being an organized people person is part of something that should be part of everyone that works at an mm-hmm. agency yeah. and should sit alongside a skill set. Um, so I think when you're speaking to people who have got a skill set and understand everything and can have a conversation and explain what they are doing and the return on investment and all that sort of stuff, I think that makes a good relationship with clients and mm-hmm. makes it a, a good agency. Um, I think there's a lot of hot, hot air, get rid of buzzwords, get rid of management speak, just focus on doing good stuff and the rest of the rest of it will fall into place. I think at agencies, um, I also think things have changed. So the way people consume marketing change, I don't, I don't buy into we me being served an ad for a product that I've shown no intent in buying. Like we're all numb to that sort of stuff now. And the person doing that will go in and go into a meeting and say that I was, you know, part of reaching the brand awareness of that campaign. I wasn't. Um, whereas brand real brand awareness is creating stories that yeah, yeah. are shareable and talked about and sometimes can change something as well. Um, so I think the way the shift in in the way people are consuming content and the agencies that are on top of that um, rise are, rise are a great example um, that for me makes makes a big difference. Because I think for me as well, it's when if I hire Steve or Luke or James or whoever, you want that person to do the work, but it's the trust because it's at, at, at some point you'll send me an invoice or vice versa. And it's a case of, can you, you know, is it genuine? Is it nothing? Nobody likes people that just mail in crap or they get the graduate to do it and it's rubbish kind of work. Yeah. But I think there's real value in when you build personal brands. So people actually think, you know, Luke is shit hard research and he's the best at that. And actually, if that's what we need, we want to hire him. But actually, if it's not, we'll hire Rachel, we'll hire someone else. And it's just, it's really interesting. Um, In the past, I've seen you talk about research as one of the really kind of key areas that makes a huge difference in what you do can you like almost share some value about like the process, the stuff that you use, the tools, the techniques, and why it's important? Yeah, definitely. I think I've done talks in the past on how to be creative when you're not creative, because I don't consider myself. I've been in creative roles. I don't consider myself creative. Um, so I, I'm like a bit of a robot. So I need like valuable input to have a valuable output. Um, so I, when I'm coming up with ideas, and my job has been the majority over the past few years is coming up with like campaign ideas. Um, or at least part of it. I start off with a lot of research. So I'm, uh, I've always used a tool called BuzzSumo. So I go on there and basically it pulls out all the most socially shared content around any topic that I want. Um, so for example, if you uh, honeymoon provider, you can put in honeymoons and bring up the most socially shared content. I'll then branch that out into engagement rings, weddings, and everything, every other tangent related to honeymoons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll start doing research and start pulling out consistent themes. So I did this for honeymoons and the most socially shared content around people dying on their honeymoon. So we put that into a box of like, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not going to touch it. Uh, It might, okay. I might be able to brainstorm around like how many people could split up on their honeymoons and stuff like that, but I'm not obviously going to touch that. Um, And then on the left-hand side is like what the brand wants to talk about, which is usually like top 10 honeymoon destinations, usually quite thin content that anyone can do. Uh, And then I'll try and find a middle ground of like, okay, you can now stay at a, Bella and Edwards from Twilight's honeymoon suite or whatever. Um, and that sort of stuff works. And that and then we won't um we won't take those ideas, but we'll look at what's not been done. Um so we'll take that evidence, go into a brainstorm, um, and then say, look, all this is talked about, mm-hmm. um, what hasn't been done yet, what has been done but actually not very well and can be done a lot better, yeah. um, what gaps are there, that sort of stuff. So I take all that evidence and basically won't try and come up with an idea on the spot because I've just never come up with a good idea on the spot. No one does, um, or rarely anyway. Um, so I'll take all that research, re- uh, do that, and then I'll leave it for like three, four, five days, and then I'll come back to it and I'll have sort of better ideas. I'll let my brain do the work whilst mm-hmm. I'm doing other stuff, basically. Um, so yeah, research is a, like a, bit, a big part of it. And I think, it, again, that can be quite can be quite thin of like females who mm-hmm. walk dogs and their age between like 30 and 55, and it's like, 
Okay, I don't really give you anything. Like you, you need to look into the external landscape of what's actually being talked about if you want to come up with a cool campaign idea. And that's pretty much what I've, I've been doing over the past five, six, seven years. And then I'll reverse engineer that as well. So if I do come up with an idea in a pub, I'll backtrack it and mm -hmm. say, okay, there's enough evidence that this is going to work and it's not a terrible one. So you come up with the idea, then you, I imagine, do some creative to create the thing that you want to push. And then I guess, do you then message it out to journalists? Do you have a mailing list? They, oh, do you want to talk about this? Or do you like just plant it? As in, do you proactively ask, do you want to cover this cool story? Yeah, this is, so this is the part I'm terrible at, by the way. So this is when I, I work with people in VR who are way better than, than me at this sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, we, we'll pull together a story and then we'll pull together a, a seeding list of how we're going to amplify that. And then the PRs will reach out to, to those people saying, leading with an angle from that story. So we've done stuff before like, um, people who have played Fortnite, the game, have played for it, uh, played it longer than human beings have been on the planet. So like 10.5 uh, million years or something is like how long people have actually played Fortnite cumulatively together. Mm -hmm. So you email that out to gaming journalists and stuff like that as a as a story that they can they can run with and host and give them everything that they could possibly need to to host that because they they get a lot of emails a day now. Yeah, and then. I hear people talk about backlinks. What is a backlink and how does it work? So yeah, so you used to be able to buy them. So you'd go in the SEO world when I first started, people would go out and buy links from another site to their site okay. and it would improve your authority in the eyes of Google. Um, so it'd be, Google would be like, okay, these are a trustworthy site because they've got X amount of links from X amount of sites that are also good sites. It's like a thumbs up signal. Mm -hmm. um, and then they started penalizing sites that brought links. So you had to earn them by creating stories. So that exact story of um, people have now played Fortnite for over 10.5 million years. Um, that we got a link back to game.co.uk's website from Game Run and loads of other gaming sites. And it's it helps improve your organic search performance okay. and it's part of the seo mix alongside um content and technical seo um so it is that really and we you know i've been in the industry so we just say links all the time and no one people don't care outside they just drop your heart and you sort of forget <laughs> no but it, 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 it's just fascinating because for me that the cost of living is the biggest in my opinion uh, like topic that will be around for the next two three years you know especially if things go as people might think they will and it's that balance, I guess, to create content which resonates with people's core beliefs, but it's still positive. And it's, you know, it's trying to, f it's the taste element of, yeah. I hate people that pick clickbaity stuff almost for the sake of doing it. Yeah, we're, that... we're at a tipping point with that at the minute. Um, it's, everyone's so reactive with their PR as well. So journalists have been sent loads of stuff like that. I got two uh, screenshots today from a journalist um, who just said, I'm tired of getting stuff like this. Um, and I think it's, we're at that point where you've got to just not send out stuff all the time, even though you need the links and everyone's got a link KPI maybe, and um, everyone's competing against each other and there's so many digital PRs that are doing it. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes out that it, I just don't really like. <laughs> no. But I think, again, that's part of the the brand. And you know, when you hire people in it, they're an extension of your company, that kind of thing. It's who do you trust to actually represent you in the right way? that if you give someone free reign to do stuff, it's not just getting the newspaper for the sake of it. You want it to be relevant. And, you know, it's so I think there's a, the real art to that process. And that's part of the reason why I think, you know, I get approached. I had three today from Bangladesh until the place are saying, we will promote your podcast, $200 or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, no, you've missed the point. It's not about just having more views on something. I want actual followers that actually do. Yeah. But the point is, that there's value in the skill and the experience that you've learned over the past 10 15 years it can't just be done cheaper because it's not about volume if that makes sense yeah and i think that's almost where for businesses it's knowing who to call on at the right time this isn't an ad by the way um just you know to kind of i guess have the best kind of result you can and um, one of the things that we've spoke about previously and every thursday i do a mental health kind of podcast is especially at the moment and especially with blokes we're not often great at talking about stuff that we're going through and previous guests i've had alex i've had steve i've had a few others aiden i've all talked about stuff that they've kind of been through and especially with the pandemic it was a really tough time for a lot of people where 
you know, you're suddenly locked away, you're in your flat and there's no interaction with people, you're told not to go outside. And you wrote a really great article, I think it was in March 2020, if my memory is right. Yeah. And, and it was just, are you happy to almost share some of your story and what you went through yeah. and talk around that? Yeah, I mean, how long you got? Um, so yeah, I'm yeah, more than happy to talk about it. Like I said, I think it's something important that more men should, should start talking about. And I'm not one who's comfortable necessarily talking about it, even though I did write that article. But I think most men in particular are not very good at talking about it, also not very good at spotting signs that they're struggling. I was overconfident probably in the start of my career, like I was on a bit of a roll, do and take on as much as I possibly could. So be working full-time in an agency, I'd come back in, I'd freelance, right? I'd be watching the most engrossing thing I could find on Netflix and playing football manager at the same time. So I'd be doing all that and just being like, okay, this everything's normal. This is like a normal thing to be doing. Um, and then, uh, so I couldn't be alone with my thoughts or anything like that. I was, had to be plugged into something constantly. And then uh, I set up a business and I had ridiculously high expectations. So my my plan was, you know, I'm from a poor background, my, my dad might need care, all that sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm going to set up a business. I'm going to be, I mean, it's going to go really well. I'm going to be financially stable. I'm going to be able to look after my parents, solve more problems. Um, I'm going to also be able to see the world and have family in my own and all that sort of stuff. So I'm going to do this and it's going to go really well. Um, and it didn't. So I was struggling. It wasn't going meeting my expectations at all. I had really, like I said, big expectations for it. Uh, I had to learn learned um to be by myself so i was working by myself in an office for the first time uh, i was running out of money all that sort of stuff so little things started happening and that uh, were like no i've never been nervous before doing anything never been nervous in, in a pitch or a climb meeting or anything started feeling a bit sick in climb meetings and before it so i never had that before where i was like oh i feel a bit like not great in this in this pitch and stuff and then I was putting myself under a lot of pressure, obviously, if I had high expectations. So every time I went to one of these things, I was like, you need to win this. Like, you need to need to be able to do this. Um, it started getting worse and worse. So physically worse and worse. Started feeling more sick, like sweating loads, all that sort of stuff. Basically, my body was just trying, telling me to get help and mm -hmm. sort myself out. And I wasn't listening. I was carried on. Um, one point, I had to walk out. For my own business, the last one I did, I had to walk out of the room. I couldn't speak. So I just couldn't speak anymore felt like I was going to be sick, I had to walk out of the room. So I waited a good 18 months before doing it after that incident. So I was in a senior senior job within an agency. I was just cracking on like normal. It was it was hell really. Like I couldn't go anywhere. Um I start I'd had a couple of anxiety attacks which I never had before. And then realized I did have them when I was a kid and I just thought they were asthma attacks and that sort of stuff. So um getting worse and worse. I was just carrying on like normal and then I was like one day I phoned I think it's IAPS which is like the mental health place in Sheffield or whatever um and I was like I think I'm stuck like I don't think I'm gonna be able to get home today I'm in like Leeds I can't I don't I can't get on a train can't do anything um and they're like okay cool it's 11 month wait to see someone I was like so we always leave stuff too late and I was like okay so I need to plan 11 months ahead for this um, it had nearly happened again and they got stuck in Warsaw after a, a holiday, like I was flying by myself. So fast forward, I'd kind of paused my own business and I was doing this. And then, so I, I got started to get uh, CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was the first step I took. And I went, I was lucky enough to go to go private because I couldn't wait 11 months. I had to do it basically really against that as well. Like I wasn't the sort of person to be like, yes, I'm going to get a therapist. Um, and I started getting a bit better. Um, so I started getting a bit better and then and then we had a lockdown, which obviously was bad and everything else to do with COVID was bad, but I really needed it. Like it gave me time to be able to kind of reset and not be put into these situations that would trigger, you know, physical responses all the time. I could I could do meetings over mm -hmm. calls. I could do loads of stuff, I could fit in loads of stuff of the day. Um, so it started and I was, you know, a perfectly very relaxed person. Uh, went to a high state of anxiety for a number of years, really, without really realizing it. Um, plugged myself, I was at an agency that was growing really fast at the time, plugged myself in, and I was like, okay, I can just do this. And I was getting better. I felt useful again. I didn't feel very useful in my, in my skill sets before that, but things were going well again. So I was like, okay, um, going well again. Um, plugged myself in, completely like sort of overworked myself because I wanted to at the time and it was great and I was having fun. 
Um, I think then I went from the heightened state to a lower state. And I was watching the Euros, the men's Euros final against, I think it was Italy, wasn't it, in the Euros. Um, and I was like, I'm not enjoying this. I don't, I don't feel, so this is, this is a couple of years after, you know, being an incredibly anxious person to feeling quite normal again. Um, and I was getting no enjoyment from watching the finals. And that would usually be like a heightened state of emotion for me. And like, you know, I'd actually enjoy watching it. I wasn't getting any enjoyment from it. Um, and then I went from a state of, the, you know, high anxiety to being like, I didn't have any emotions for about six months, I don't think. So nothing like at all. Um, so I went, I've seen sort of both aspects of that spectrum over the past sort of four or five years now. Um, and you can only really dis- like discuss it now retrospectively looking back on it as a as a thing that happened. Because at the time, I, you don't really know. Like I didn't really know that I wasn't having emotions and stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that was been my kind of journey until now. And I'm in a much in a far far better place um from going through that and i think he, it was always going to happen so mm-hmm. it was always going to happen with me it was always it's always been there um it was just a case of when it was going to break and i'm quite glad it, it has happened now because it means you can have more conversations with people it means you're more empathetic um means you can spot things so i'll be like okay that situation is going to make me anxious or that sort of that sort of thing i can understand it a lot more understand my body a lot more understand my head a lot more um so at the time you know it's been hell like for a bit um going through those kind of things and i'm sure there's lots of people who have had similar situations and in far worse positions as well um i think it it's it needs to become a normal thing to yeah, talk about yeah. um definitely well thank you for sharing i think it's i know for a fact because i know what blokes are like is that you know I'm not great myself to talk to people, even though I talk to people every all the time, mm. but but about certain things that are actually kind of upsetting me. But we will listen. And especially if it's people that we've seen around and we kind of respect or whatever, the openness for people. And what's really interesting is that people from the army and all different kind of backgrounds all have different stories to tell. And they're all equally valid. And it's just, there is no normal, if that makes sense. And it's just, yeah. and thank you for honestly kind of sharing. What did you find really kind of helped you you know, things improve? Um, I took little steps at the start. So I um, I started meditating, which again, a sentence that 21 year old me would just not, would be not on, not, not on board with at all. Um, so I started doing that and after a while I got, sort of got into it and that was like, okay, I can sort of clear my head a little bit. Um, I learned some coping techniques or I can't really remember them from CBT and stuff like that, but things like that at the time when I was in those situations, um that they helped me get through like what would been what would have been a panic attack or whatever um so i did little things for myself real basic stuff like i wasn't looking after myself so i'm not going to feel good um i started exercising a lot more started uh, when i was going through the period of you know my, my balance was completely off like I, I started going to the gym at every lunchtime uh eating healthy drinking like all that sort of stuff it sounds stupid but like you've got to do those mm. basics if you're going to get anywhere near uh, feeling better and also you know seeking help in a in a therapist as well like really really useful for me um and that's probably the first time i spoke about stuff um so i think those things you got to do stuff on, off your own back a little bit and you've also got to want to get better um and really kind of like work work towards it yeah. um, but then also just seeking help like it's sometimes one of the only ways you're going to be able to get better yeah but no thank you for that because i think what's interesting is especially with you know when you see business stuff and it's always work hard work yeah. hard whatever yeah one of the best things that ever happened to me was when i was you know 10 15 years ago doing my phd and it was my first business so i was doing the phd in the daytime and the business at night and my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife would force me to go to bed at a reasonable time because the, the behaviors that are sometimes celebrated get no sleep and work hard and you know exercise too much and eat what you want and just smoke and whatever yeah. and it does build up over time that sometimes it might seem a bit dull to get you sleeping get you watering do whatever you need to do but it makes a big difference and it was great to kind of hear that as well yeah re- really basic stuff and also if i was a millionaire i tell people not to sleep and stuff all the time give them really bad advice um can i hear a cat in the background <laughs> i thought i could hear a little no. pause oh it might be the neighbor's cat actually yeah uh, don't worry. it's not it's not mine <laughs> That's fine. um so as we kind of come to kind of wrap up i have three questions the first one's the cool one what's the dream or the hope for the future um 
I think it sounds a bit it sounds a bit vain and stereotypical, but like I want to be in a place where I'm financially able to have a really good balance in my life and be able to choose what I'm doing with, with my time. Um, I really value my time now and where I'm where I'm spending it. So I think getting into that that place, I mean, it'd be great if we could just work a job and get to that place. But let's face it, we're not going to be able to because that'll all go on electricity. So I think like um, you know, growing something and then selling something and keep doing projects that are that way inclined to be able to get myself into that position where, you know, I can choose and to start doing things I really enjoy. Um, and also I don't, you know, I don't not desperate to be in the UK 12 months out of the year at the minute, like it's quite a depressing place. So I think that sort of place, um, would be, would be great. And the peace of mind that would hopefully come with that. No, oh, cool. It's always nice to have a dream and just, you know, especially I imagine working on creative projects where someone says, look, what, this is what we want to do what ideas have you got and just being able to just work with good people and come up with stuff is probably quite cool yeah yeah i think i want to do work i'm proud of still i I carry on when i do it wanting to do that sort of stuff and produce produce good work like like i feel like i have been over the past few years in particular but yeah i think that there's a meme of ben affleck to sleep on a a yacht that's like sort of what the dream is really over the next like five years no sounds good um (laughs) would you be happy to share what's the best piece of advice you've ever had yeah i was I, I know you're going to ask this question. I've been given so much bad advice. I couldn't, I was like racking my brains for any sort of useful advice that I've been given. Um, I've been given odd bits over the the past few years, but I think it's one that I saw, which was um, happiness as expectations exceeded. I think it was mm-hmm. Mo Goddard, who has been, he's been on a few podcasts. Um, and I found that really useful because I could backtrack that to pretty much any situation that, you know, my expectations were ridiculous when I set up a business. Therefore, I'm not going to be happy. Like when you manage people, if you say to them, you are going to be head of department within six months here and they're not head of department within six months, it, that their expectations haven't been exceeded or met. So I think it's a really good one to take into things and even small things within your everyday life. So like I've ruptured my Achilles, I'm in a boot. Like I'm not going to be in a great mood. And if I'm expecting myself to be on the plane to Qatar, with the England squad, like I'm going to be disappointed. I'm probably gonna to have to wait for the Euros to make the squad. So I think there's stuff like that where I can apply it and be like, I'm, I'm gonna be in a bad mood for a few days, maybe a week. I'm not gonna to have to exercise for a bit. Um, so I think it's like, it helps you set realistic expectations for everything. And therefore you're not gonna be constantly annoyed or wound up or anything like that. Yeah, that's good. I must have done about a hundred of these and that's a really good one because it's applicable to just almost everything and everything. It's really simple. Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, if you were to give advice to your younger self, I can see you looking across to read the question. <laughs> Definitely not. I've not prepped anything. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you were to give advice to your younger self and you can pick you at school, um, when you first went to uni, starting the agency for the first time, even at your lowest point, if you were to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? I think I'd validate myself a bit more. So I think I make, on the, on the whole, I make good decisions and I make them based off evidence so like you said when I when I set up my first business it's seen as a risk but for me that didn't seem like a risk at all because I weighed up all the evidence and said okay this is the best route for me um so I think I'd back myself a bit more and when you've got got this feeling that you've you're making the right choice or you're going for it don't like deliberate and fight yourself over it and stuff like that and just sort of sort of go for it I think particularly within your mid-20s to your to the age I'm at now, basically all anyone talks to you about is having children, getting married, buying a house. It's like constant. And I've always been a person who's been like, I'm not ready to do that just yet. Or I've been given advice on to buy a house from people who haven't brought their own houses, for example. Like, and I think I've always not just sort of had this thing that I wanted to do something slightly different to everyone else. And, mm-hmm. but I've always fought myself over it and, deliberated constantly and stuff like that whereas most of the decisions i made have been fairly good ones and i should have just gone through and back myself a bit more that's cool i think if if you find what makes you happy what you said before almost what makes you content just do you that's all that matters i remember when when me and my wife got married we had a massive bust up with my family because they wanted kids at the wedding and we didn't want them and it was just you you will never make other people happy just do whatever makes you happy and then actually that will inherently make you happy which makes people like you more you know what i mean so it's yeah i think i think that's it like i think i've got to the point now i don't know if that's like an age thing but i don't care about what anyone thinks of me at all now like it's like liberating like i don't care at all and i wish that i'd have felt a bit more like that when i was younger 
I think it is an age thing. Yeah. That when, yeah, as a teenager, then when you go to uni and there's 20,000 students, you're surrounded like, oh, am I good looking enough? I'm popular enough. Can I? Do? And it's just, you're always judging yourself with other people. And then you graduate and, oh, so and so gets paid more than I do. And what about this? Yeah. And, about that? and it's, it's horrible. And yeah, you get to the point where, so I'm 39 now. I genuinely don't care. I've kind of, for me, I've proven myself. So it's just, if you like me, great. If you don't, that's fine. Yeah. But I think it just comes with time and experience. And, you know, there are bigger problems in the world and stuff as well. Um, so thank you for your kind of time today. Is there anything you would like to plug or talk about before we go? Uh, I'd love to be able to. I can't. <laughs> so I think the best plug is that I can't plug anything right now. Um, but I will be able to fairly soon hopefully well i'm speaking to james in about a few weeks so if you know who luke is you probably know who james is so tune in in about two weeks time um but i genuinely thank you for your time i've really enjoyed it and it was really great to kind of hear your story i think people i always talk about a bullshit meeting it's when when someone shares their story about different stuff that you either buy into it or you don't and you kind of have that ability with longer form content like a podcast that it's been both i really enjoyed these anyway but actually, I think people will get really good value from it. And thank you for Neil for all the kind of comments you were saying about how it's an amazing answer. And almost, you know, people just from the last hour have really taken value in what you kind of do as well. Good. So good luck with the Achilles. Uh, I will see you yes. in Qatar in a few weeks' time. Yeah. But um, honestly, stay in touch. Thank you for your time. And yeah, I'll see you soon. Cheers, Dean. Right, cheers. Very much. Bye -bye. Cheers.